Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Hi, Paul. What are we getting into this week? Well, in today's episode, we'll be reviewing the latest COGX conference here in London, and Microsoft's deals with OpenAI and the rise and fall of threads. And that's not all. We'll also take a look at Airbnb and the curious case of a copycat competitor. But first off, I need to vent because something has really been grinding my gears. All right, Jonathan, what's been grinding your gears now? Well, you won't be surprised to know that it's HS2. Ah, for those of you who don't know, and maybe anyone is listening from America, this is a very ambitious north-south or south-north, depending which way you look at it, fast train line that's going to bring lots of goodness or was going to bring lots of goodness to the country. It's not happening anymore. Seems like every other megatech project we do in this country, it has run vastly over budget and totally under-delivered on expectations. And again, context, this is a $40 billion project as spec. It's grown to $108 billion, shows no sign of ever coming anywhere near the right number. And I think the estimates are now it could be $200 billion or even north of that. And no business, to be clear, could run if its costs for an unfinished project grew five times the original estimate. It's an absolute classic public-private sector cock-up. What's the category angle, though? Oh, the category angle. Well, funny you should say that. I think the big problem here is that this whole project has been categorized as HSR, high speed rail. And what that actually meant was you can get from London to Birmingham, which is one of the biggest cities in the Midlands, for those of you not familiar with the geography of England, 20 minutes faster. That's good. Well, big deal, you know, 20 minutes. But I think it's been wrongly categorized. And it should have been categorized as RCE, which is rail capacity expansion. Now, if a clear categorical decision had been decided right at the beginning, then the whole focus would have been different. Are you really saying that the vast amounts of compo compensation, which we're going to have to lay out to all the people whose houses have been blighted, estimated at £2 billion, are you saying that all of that money could have been avoided by recategorizing the project? Yeah, quite possibly. Because if you'd written a proper point of view for this project, the real focus would have been on difference. The difference is the new and emerging problems of of the travellers trying to get around this country and not the better of a slightly faster journey on another radial route to London, which only serves to increase the divide between the southeast and the rest of the country. So this actually comes down, in a way, to point of view. The point of view that that was hijacked, let's say, by the opponents of HS2 is it's only 20 minutes to Birmingham. Why the hell does that matter? This is not strategic. And you're saying... It was framed incorrectly. Absolutely. The framing should have been in the context. What's the context then? Well, the context in this case is an expanding population, a levelling up agenda, changing work patterns, and an environment in crisis. These are the context of an entirely new category issue, and therefore a proper point of view that addressed these issues should have been put together. There you have it. Rishi and Keir, you heard it here first. Get your POV right, fellas.
You've got to learn to earn. All right, Professor Simnet, can you please tell me what we'll be learning in this lesson? Well, I, I thought we'd go back to basics, and we will talk about what is a point of view, or a POV as we talk about it, and just as importantly, how do you actually write one? That's right, because everything in category literally comes down to your point of view or POV. It's like a score in a symphony, a script in a movie, or more lucratively these days, a video game script. Flowery language, great. We love that. But ultimately, your POV is about creating an overall view of the new marketplace that you want to create, and you're positioning in it. With sufficient amounts of refreshments, I might think I've got a brilliant point of view and we'll just go with it we see we've just ah, that's where you might be wrong <laughs> that's just... where you might be wrong remember this listeners great povs flow from the problem that your future customers have oh no not, that's not, for, some not proper for, thinking there. not from your overall imagination bear in mind that the problem that you're framing may not even be one that your customers are aware of today so let's give an example so ride hailing we know who the leader in that is we do begins with you Lots of things begin with me. But we knew there were problems, especially in the UK with black cabs. Sorry, Gov. Cash only. Extortionate. Cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Or, or that other one where you'd stand there in the pouring rain with your hand out. Oh, yeah. And they'd just go, yeah. usually through a puddle covering you. Oh, the, the power. The power of the black cab. My least favorite was the Mickey D's McDonald's paper, just all strewn over the cab. All of that gone. Yeah. And we didn't even know there were problems. We just put up with that. Yeah. Welcome. Uber. Uber pointed out to us that it might be great if you could hail a taxi wherever you were, and it would come. Never and, occurred to me. And you could see it coming on your phone. And it might be useful if we could rate both the cabs and the drivers, and these days even choose what sort of music we want. So yeah. lots of emerging properties from a problem that we didn't fully understand as we now understand. I heard have thought you could choose your music too. It's relatively easy to solve obvious problems. You see lots of quote-unquote POVs that talk about doing things faster or doing things cheaper or doing things with less risk. All of this is better, better, better. And what do we always say? Different, not better. And if your role is to be visionary and to design a brand new category, you need to create a POV which points out and solves some of the hidden problems too. Come on, give us the pro tips, Jono. First thing, numbers. They really, really size the problem. Of, of course they do. And if I may, in, in, in tech, you've often got engineers. They're analytical by nature. They need convincing. They want those numbers. Numbers mesmerize them. So stats, yes, please. It's not just about numbers. It's about words. It's about language. So you need to be innovative in your language, but don't fall into the trap of talking in some sort of convoluted management speak. Did I hear digital transformation? Oh my God, my ears are hurting already. And the other thing is, make it memorable. And memorable speech comes from compact phrases, stuff that people go, I recognize that. That's an issue. Oh, well, that's a brilliant way of encapsulating it. Even the greatest piece of prose is not as memorable as the chorus of a song or poetry. What we're looking for here isn't prose. We're looking for poetic, earworm, ear candy type phrases, right? And go into this with a red pencil. You need to cut it down. Less is definitely more. You don't want to have a POV that's more than 750 words. On that note, I'm going to say that's the completion of this lesson. If you want to learn more, please do follow us, click on the link, and of course, read our blogs.
there's Captain Hindsight. So, Captain Hindsight reporting for duty. Aye, aye, sir. Absolutely. And this week, we're looking at Airbnb, who absolutely, with hindsight, should have realised there's going to be a lot of imitators following them around. Isn't that what we keep telling the listeners is what you want? You do want imitators because it validates your category. You absolutely do. But there are unexpected consequences sometimes. Let's talk a little bit about an interesting story from the excellent UK TN, UK Tech News. Shout out to Rob Scammell. Fabulous story. It had us chuckling all over the place. Yeah, well done, Rob. We love this. Now... How many times can we say allegedly? A lot. So this is the alleged shenanigans between category leader Airbnb and a company they allegedly, allegedly, allegedly had nothing to do with. So what actually happened up there north of the border? Well, the company is allegedly called Letting Cloud and was alleged to have been acquired by Airbnb. Who claimed this? <laughs> allegedly, their CEO claimed that his company had been bought by Airbnb which is sort of interesting because letting cloud, it does sound a little bit like passing wind, doesn't it? It does, but let's move on. Okay. So Airbnb, clear category leader in accommodation, has denied all involvement. So what is going on? It seems that being a category leader will attract those that want to attach themselves to your success. Sort of obvious in hindsight, right? There's no real surprise there. However, the lengths others will go to, not, not just to associate themselves with your success, are sometimes extraordinary. Even to the extent of allegedly saying that you were about to be bought by a category leader. That's at best imitation, which we know is a sincerest form of flattery. But the lesson really here is it does pay to be careful to who is doing that flattery. Not everybody who flatters is doing it for good reason. As a category leader, watch out, keep your lawyers briefed. Some people may be coming at you in ways that you would not expect. Because we always say that it's good to have people come at you for your category. What's not good about this story is that some people are literally making assertions about you as a category leader. On this one, we're allegedly not letting clouds cloud our judgment. This year saw COGEX return to London. Last year, it was amazing. This year, not so much. So this is a conference been going for many years, and it describes itself as 500 speakers, three summits, over 25 topics, three days, 1,000-plus startups, and a 90,000 audience. And I don't know where to start with that, because I think every single one of those, except for the days... I would contest. They didn't mention how much tumbleweed was uh, was blowing around. COGEX was rattling around the O2. This is the place that you normally go, and you and I have been many times, to oh, see yeah. some very prestigious rock bands. We'll going back there in a few weeks' time to see New Order. There you go. I think the last one, shamefully, was Kiss, but we'll, we'll, we'll move away from that. It's a great place, the O2, for going late at night and spending a few hours watching music. It is not a great place to have a starting at Sparrow Fart in the morning tech conference as big as COGEX. Once you finally got to where you were supposed to go across this disparate campus, there were a lot of very trendy young Americans and Europeans, it has to be said, all quite lost walking around the baffling campus that this thing was set up on. So 
Lots of logistics, but hey, let's give a little bit of recognition because there was a lot of ambition behind this and, you know, that, that we shouldn't just knock for the sake of knocking. Hopefully this well-intentioned, if robust criticism comes through. So, you know, when you've got the likes of Reid Hoffman, he's the founder, by the way, of LinkedIn. You've got the founder of Stability AI, surely uh, a contender for a category leader here. So no problem with the speakers, but a bit of a problem with getting people along. You had a description of it as a bit of an echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, we always, always talk about the echo chamber of ego, don't we, in, in our business? But this really was an echo chamber. You know, imagine a football stadium with about 200 people in it. That, that will sort of give you an idea of the uh, amount of spare space that was there. The venue's just too big. It was like Stockport County's away folks go to Wembley. <laughs> it's a little bit what it was like. It was the right message. They were the right speakers. It was the wrong venue and the logistics were wrong. And hence, you add all that up. It's the wrong message to give this country at this at this time. So you've got Reid on stage. You know, frankly, he's looking out to a pretty empty arena. And he's being asked why London's going to compete with Silicon Valley. And irony or not intended, he was definitely pushing Silicon Valley and made the point that he'd just flown in from Paris where I'm sure they gave him a stonking reception. And hence, you know, what are you going to think? If you're a, a VC at Greylock, which Reed is, he looks around that venue. I don't think it's the right message for us to be giving at yeah, this we time. Yeah, we need a COGX, but we need a COGX that makes us look good. The people that should have been there weren't there, uh, probably because they're still in their offices actually doing tech development and running tech businesses. They were not trekking out to Docklands to stand around in empty stadium. So if the, if the Charlie and the Cogex guys are listening, would you be able to help them out with a tighter format next year? Oh, I think so. OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, is opening its first international office. Guess where? London. But will its backer, Microsoft, blow its chance for a new category leadership position? We're told that this new office is going to focus on research and, and engineering. But let's not forget, this is not any old startup. It authored ChatGPT. It's received multi-billion dollar backing from Microsoft. The reality is, is that UK IT establishments getting a bit excited about this. But does a little country like the UK really matter? I mean, the UK uh, is sort of small compared to the main market. And there was some major news about a big acquisition of a company called Mosaic by Databricks, $1.3 billion. That's real money. That's category-defining money. Yeah, I think there's a big debate to, to be had about the amount of money that's actually going into the UK. But let's not forget that the UK produced the DeepMind business, which Google bought in as long ago as 2014. You know, we know in the UK, there's a lot of academic horsepower in our top universities focusing on the sector. We know also that Microsoft has a big presence in the UK and, and has definitely cozied up to the UK research community. But for me, the big question here is what is Microsoft going to do with OpenAI? Are they going to miss a trick? Are they going to create brand new categories with this that could close its perennial market valuation gap with Apple? Or are they just going to let it trickle into the product? Let's not forget, Microsoft owns a lot of things, right? It, it owns Xbox, it owns LinkedIn, it owns GitHub. All of those are beautiful places to mine for new applications for AI. The question you're asking is, will this new London HQ mean that it's going to be able to craft a brand new category for itself? The potential is for AI to change entirely the way white collar work is done, the way companies are organized, the way people are, are governed. In doing so, there is that potential to redefine Microsoft and catapult it ahead of those you know, companies that, you know, frankly, it's played second fiddle to for decades. 
I do generally think that the investment in, in OpenAI could be, could be the smartest thing Microsoft has done since acquiring the original MS-DOS operating system. But we have to wait and see whether there's going to be a slow evolution of its strategy or whether there's some bold categorization play in the offing. Good. Go on then, Microsoft. What have you got? So what have we been saying about category on LinkedIn? Jonathan, I'm quoting you from LinkedIn, and you said, well, you asked, has Meta missed its category creation moment? Obviously, what we're talking about here is the emergence of threads to try and challenge the category leader here in the real-time messaging space, Twitter, and now from here on X. But on a category basis, threads seems to have gone from zero to hero and is heading back down pretty rapidly. What do you think that's all about? You can look at the numbers. First few days, 30 million signed up. Actually, it took Twitter four years to build up that same number of users that Threads gained in a day, but that was at a different time. We know Threads could potentially access Meta's Instagram, 2 billion monthly users. But the point here is, it's really rare that it takes 20 years for a category leader to be met with a head-on challenger. Things have moved on. And the reality is, if you're going to try and do that, what you've got better be a whole lot different than what it's competing with. Yeah, because better is not going to cut it here. There's a, a lot of users whose lives are built around myself, probably included, been on Twitter since 2000 and God knows, 2008, something like that. We've learned to consume our news that way. Moving people like you and me, slightly older demographic, onto a new product, not very easy. Everybody's going to try it when it's out of the blocks, and it's got a groovy new brand. And even despite the fact that Twitter did a rebrand to X, and you would have thought that might have caused them more problems, despite that, it looks, certainly at the moment, as if the threads are unraveling. That's a good point about, about X, about brand. You know, if you are the category leader, you can screw things up a bit on the brand and you'll still be absolutely fine. The best that I've seen people describe threads as is more friendly. Now, you know, more friendly is firmly in the better camp. That is not different. Yeah, it's, it's woolly, it's relative. And it's a classic brand. Even saying more friendly sounds like a brand attribute, one of these things that a branding agency would give you as your, you know, your values. Very nebulous, hard to monetize. And critically, Threads seems to be going after the same problem, if you want to call it that, that we didn't know we had before Twitter came out, which was checking on news in real time. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, and remember, that's a 20-year-old problem. It's yeah. not really today's problem, is it? So, I mean, I think, you know, rather than delivering what could have been a knockout blow to Twitter stroke X when it was clearly having a brand wobble. I just think either Meta will give up the ghost or just find itself in a bloody and spiteful battle for that share of the microblogging market. Ironically, that might hurt its other brands a little bit. So Instagram, WhatsApp, etc. People begin to know that there's an owner of these brands, a curator of these brands, if you like. And the fact that they've someone say shit the bed, uh, that, that they've had a moment, let's say, uh, with threads might come back to to bite them. And I think all of this conversation just demonstrates that there's a clear difference between a category move, which is strategic, has long-lasting repercussions, may take 20 years to evolve, and a branding move where you're not really solving anything that's really a problem for the users. You're basically just 
trying to dislodge the category leader with a brand. Very hard thing to do. It just makes Meta look a bit desperate. There's lots more on this and all of our thoughts on the difference between category and branding on our blog at bcategorical.com. Please get involved in the discussion. We'd love to hear what you think. Hope this is helping you design your category. For more information, go to bcategorical.com where you'll find downloadable resources. Thanks for listening and keep different. Keep different.